Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Feeling good? Good morning, you guys that are online. Huge percentage of our people are down there in the beach and such, so I'm glad you took the time to be online. It's one of those last good weekends before, you know, it gets too cold to go, so thanks so much for being here. And those of you that are traveling with your families, be refreshed, be renewed. We look forward to seeing you again soon live right here in the house and all over the world, literally, people watching online. You know, we're averaging about 450 people online uh, every week these days. It's just amazing what God is doing through the Internet, and we're just praising God for it. Amen. So when we talk about the bridge having four locations, we probably have five. The fifth one is just scattered all over the planet. So (laughs) we're excited about what God is doing. Uh, You know, Satan has leveraged technology long enough for himself. It's time for the kingdom to use it. Anybody agree with me with that one? Come on. So let's get into it today. Anybody ever notice, we'll just kind of do a little survey here. Anybody ever notice that life can be tough sometimes? Anybody here? God bless that hand. I see that hand. It's going to be tough. The issues to face and problems to deal with. And and we always seem to be short time, short money. It's just before you know it, we go, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this or not. Before you know it, hopelessness begins to set in. And before you know it, you find yourself thinking, I just don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, if I'm... Bold this morning, I dare say that some of you, either here or watching online, uh, are feeling hopeless right now about some situation in your life. Um, maybe it's a marriage that you just it's just not getting any better and you're not sure if it's ever going to get any better. Or, or a relationship that you're in that you know is, is, is not functional, it's destructive, but, but you don't know how to get out of it and don't look like it's going to change. Or maybe, maybe it's your job situation or your finances or, 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 or a hopelessness about am I ever going to have a child or maybe hopelessness about a child that you had. But, you know, there's this kind of this hopelessness that sets in because we live in a world that is cursed by sin. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, aren't you glad you came to church because I have depressed you thoroughly right off the bat. For those of you that are new, we're wrapping up a series we're calling Storing Values, and we've been talking about some of those values that that really formed our great nation, and and the foundation of our nation was based in some of these kinds of values that we've been talking about, and we're asking ourselves honestly, are we willing to make the effort, the sacrifice, to restore those values today, but not just for our nation, for our church, not just for our church, your family, and not even just for your family, for each of us as individuals in our lives. So we started out, to to recap for some of you and to bring the rest of you up to speed, we started out talking about if we're really going to make a difference in this world, then, then the only way that happens is if each one of us does our part, however small or large that is. We went to this feeding of the 5,000 where the little boy said, well, here's my lunch. Uh, and, you know, on, in the natural, it's like 15,000 people to feed and you got one lunch. What can you do? But, in fact, God was already had a miracle in mind that he was going to do. He was just waiting for them to acknowledge the problem and for them to start doing what they could so he would make up the difference and they would recognize it's him. Then we started talking about this issue of faith. The next week we went to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and, and said that making a difference in the world, bringing hope to a hopeless world, always has a faith factor uh, in it, and I called it living the faith adventure. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, how we're going to bring hope to the world, and, and, and the statement that I made to you at the outset of the message was simply this. The only way we bring hope into the world is if we demonstrate our faith. Faith is not a believe word. It's a do word. If we demonstrate our faith in our generosity and in, in what we do with our time and our talents and our treasures, and then I challenged you to spend some time 
this past week praying about what God would speak into your spirit to give in an offering that we call Offering Fit for a King. We're going to do that at the close of our service as we turn to worship uh, in song. But before we do, I want, to, I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about when I say there is hope uh, to be given away, hope in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 gets us started. So it's on the screen. So if you can go to the Bridge NC app and, uh, and, and, and open up the notes there, you can see everything that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, at least all of the, the outlines. You can email me at bri- info at bridgechurch.cc, and I'd be glad to send you the very notes that I'm using this morning so you can study them in more detail later. But let's get into the word, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 12 and 13. Here we go. In the past you were without Christ, and you had no part in the promises that God made his people. You had no hope, and you didn't know God. But now, I love it in Scripture when you see but now, and God's on the other side. I just I love those kind of things in the Scripture that you see over and over. But now you are in Christ. So what's the deciding factor between hope and hopelessness? So are you in Christ? What's the deciding factor be, be, whether you can tap into the promises of God or they're not available to you? You are in Christ. That's the thing. So let's talk about that expression for a minute before we start unpacking this idea of what is hope all about. What does it actually mean to be in Christ? Well, let's first let's talk about what it means to be in anything, okay? Um, so what are some of the kinds of things that you're in right now? You are in the worship center of the Bridge Princeton right now, or you're in your living room or sitting on the patio watching online. You're in that physical location. For those of you that are here, you're in uh, Wayne County, North Carolina. You're in Princeton, North Carolina is our address. You're in the United States of America. You're in North America. Those are the things. I mean, if I could figure out what they were, there are longitude and latitude coordinates that would define exactly where you are right now geographically. And if I had those coordinates, I could go right to you. Does that make sense? Right? So you are in a physical space. Does the space that you're in affect your life? Somebody say, yes, please. It does, doesn't it? It's a huge effect on our lives. Whether it's this place or another place, it ultimately affects our lives. So you're also in relationship with people. I mean, you have friends. If you're married, you have a spouse. Maybe you have kids. You have parents. You have neighbors. You have, you have pastors. You have a bridge group. I mean, those are all relationships that you are in. Do the relationships that you're in affect your life? That profoundly, I mean, that had a huge impact on your life. In fact, for many of you, you wouldn't be in this auditorium if you weren't in relationship with somebody that said, hey, come visit our church. I mean, that's just reality that we're, when we're in something, whether it's a physical space or a relational space, it affects our, our lives. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the believers at Ephesus is because you are in Christ, in relationship with Christ, your whole life is profoundly affected. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, Pastor, that's, that, that's so basic. I mean, everybody knows if you're in something, it affects you. Why, why in the world are we taking time talking about that on a Sunday morning? Well, it's vital that you know this because the reality is that every human being on the planet, and this is huge when you get it, every human being on the planet fits into one of two categories. 
As God looks across the whole earth and he sees every human being alive, we all fit into one of two categories. You can be in, what does it say? Adam, or you can be in Christ. But you can't be in both at the same time. The challenge for a lot of people is that they're trying to live in both and hopelessness is defining their lives. God says you can be in, hello, Adam, or you can be in, I want you to get this. I'm going to belabor this point, but I want you to get this. Or you can be in Christ. Those are the two choices you have to make in case you haven't figured it out. Uh, there's a huge difference there. That's why Paul said to the church at Corinth in chapter 15, verse 45 and 47, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. Now, that's one of those passages that if you're not careful, you'll just kind of go, uh-huh, and move on. But there's a huge depth of meaning in that passage. In case you haven't figured it out, the first Adam is, anybody know? It's the guy who was in the Garden of Eden, was married to a lady named Eve, and God created them. And he said, you can do anything you want, have anything you want, but just don't eat the cranapple. I mean, just that's the one fruit I want you to stay away from. And, and they didn't stay away from it. They disobeyed God. And the result is they introduced death into the world. Fast forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, he's referred to as the last Adam, and he brought life, and life in all its fullness. Well, one scholar put it this way, the first Adam turned from the Father in the garden, the last Adam turned to the Father in the garden. The first Adam was naked and unashamed, the last Adam was naked and bore our shame. The first Adam's sin brought us thorns. The last Adam wore a crown of thorns. The first Adam substituted himself for God. The last Adam was God and substituted himself for sinners. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam bore our sins on a tree. The first Adam died as a sinner. The last Adam died for sinners. The list goes on, but I think you get the point. There's a profound contrast between being in Adam versus being in Christ, the first Adam or the last Adam. Bottom line, Adam was born holy and chose sin. And ever since then, we're born in sin and have to choose to be holy. That's the bottom line. Which is why Paul also told the church at Corinth in chapter 15, for as in Adam we all die, even so in Christ all shall be made Alive In Adam, we're hopeless. In Christ, we have hope. So the few minutes that I've got with you this morning, before we bring our offering fit for the king, I want I, I to just unpack this word hope a little bit more for you. There's so much depth in here. We do a whole series on hope, and we may in the days ahead uh, if the Lord tarries. But, but let me just unpack this a little bit. Romans chapter 8 is filled with descriptions of this multifaceted diamond called we call hope. I just pulled four of them out uh, that maybe would be meaningful to us this morning as we think about hope and as we think about uh, being agents of hope to a hopeless world around us. I put it this way, in Christ, we can always be hopeful because, and there are four reasons that we can always be hopeful when we are, you want to say to you want me to? When we are in Christ, we can be hopeful. Four reasons. Number one, 
God's pardon erases my guilt. I can be hopeful in Christ because in Christ God's pardon erases my guilt. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ, for those who are profoundly impacted by the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. That word no in the Greek is the word udais that literally means the strongest possible way you can say no. So what he's saying is not in a million years. Forget about it, Saka. It ain't never going to happen. There ain't no none, nada, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So how much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ? Somebody say none. So if you're condemning yourself right now and you're in Christ, guess who the author of that is? It ain't Jesus. Because the scriptures are clear there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Say no with me. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, hear me, guys, becoming a Christian is a great deal even if there was no such thing as heaven. I mean, just to live this freedom, to live this kind of hold my head up and look around and smile at the world kind of demeanor because there is no condemnation for me to walk in. That's good news, guys, because I meet hundreds of people all the time whose number one problem is hidden guilt, hidden shame living in fear of being found out, living in fear that somebody's going to see their Internet history or somebody's going to learn about a conversation that they've had or something that they viewed with their eyes or something that they've done, maybe even in their past that's covered by the blood of Jesus right now, but they're still walking around in guilt. Hear me, guys. There is no condemnation. Say it with me. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I hear it all the time. People say, Pastor Jim, thank you for, thank you for the kind of preaching you do. It kind of gives me hope. And, and uh, you, don't, you don't come in with a bunch of guilt trips. And I always say, why should I? You're doing a pretty good job of that by, by yourself. <laughs> you don't need more guilt trips. You need hope. In fact, I, I had a dream the other night uh, that there was this giant whiteboard and, and somehow I knew that what I needed to do was go to that whiteboard and start writing all my sins on that whiteboard and so I was in my dream. I'm standing there and I'm writing every sin that I've ever committed, every sin of, of, uh, of commission, I did it and I shouldn't have, every sin of omission, I should have and I didn't. I'm writing them all down on the board and standing just in my peripheral vision is Jesus with a giant eraser. And he's just waiting for me to get finished to pour it all out. And he just steps up and he starts erasing it all off of that board so it's a clean white board when we're done. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see Pastor Andy over here, and he's got a white board, and he's filled his up. And he's looking around saying, anybody got any more white boards? I, I need some more white boards. <laughs> Jesus got an eraser for him too. Good news is, guys, sure you've got some guilt. Sure you've got some shame. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't even live up to my own standards, much less God's. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. You don't have to carry that junk around anymore. You don't have to sabotage relationships for fear it's going to be found out. Man, it feels good not to have skeletons in the closet that you have fear it's going to be outed one day. Don't have to walk around with a sense of failure because in Christ it's 
all gone. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, now we have a far better hope for Christ makes us acceptable to God and we may draw near to him. You don't have to hold God at arm's length anymore when you are in Christ because you don't have to worry about judgment. You, no matter what the jury of your peers or the bully on the playground or unpleasable parents or teachers have said to you in the past, you're no longer under judgment. You've been pardoned when you are in Christ. In fact, the Bible calls it justified, just as if I'd never sinned. You can be free. So there's three more, but can we just stop and take a breath on that one? I just want you to stop and think about that for a minute that I am free when I'm in Christ. And I want you to take a really deep breath. Come on. Now I want you to let it out. Feel your shoulders relax. Some of you are dizzy. You haven't had that much oxygen in a long time. But, you know, uh, because when I'm in Christ, his pardon frees me from my guilt. The second hope that's available to us is because God's power frees me from my bad habits. Not only do you get a fresh start and all that stuff erased from the whiteboard, but you can do it better this time because you are now in Christ. So repeat after me. Let me say it and then we'll come back and repeat it because I want you to hear yourself saying it and not just hear me say it. Once I am in Christ, I don't have to be controlled by anything. Think about it for a minute. Once I am in Christ, I don't have to be controlled by anything. Ponder that for a minute. Hear me, guys. Satan, once you're in Christ, Satan has no authority in your life unless you give him authority. And if you choose not to give him authority, he has none because you are now in Christ. So let's say it together. Come on. Once I am in Christ, say it with me. Once I am in Christ, I don't have to be controlled by anything. I don't have to be controlled by anything. I don't have to be controlled by anything. I've talked with hundreds of people over the years that, that talk about, well, I, I wish I could. I, I wish I could. I think I can. I can't. I don't know. There's two basic categories of all that stuff, though. One is just you know, my life is just out of control. I can't seem to get it together. My emotions are running wild. I'm on a roller coaster. I'm angry all the time, and I don't even know why. That's one category of, of, of being controlled by the spirits of this world. The other one is, man, i got a thing in my life that I really want to change, but I just can't change. i got this habit. It's messing up my life, but I can't quit. I've been doing it for so long, I don't know how to do it differently. And I know I'm hurting myself and I'm hurting the people in my life, but I just don't, uh, you know, these things were dysfunctional, but I, just, I, I, I keep going back to it, even though I know it's bad, wrong, painful, hurtful to me and the people that love me. Hear me, guys. In Christ, you get the power to break that cycle. He gives you the power to gain control to change in those areas of your life. Well, let's go back to Romans 8 again. Now verse 2. For the power of the life-giving spirit, and this power is mine through Christ Jesus, has what? Freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. It's freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. You know, you know that circle, right? You know that cycle, right? 
I mean, we all do. We've all been there. It starts with a temptation. Something gets your attention, and it becomes attractive to you, and maybe you even don't want it to be, but nevertheless, it starts drawing your attention. Eventually, because you're trying in your own power to resist it, you ultimately fall, fail, fall into it. Then you start feeling guilty about what you did, which weakens your own self-worth and your own resolve so that the next time temptation comes, you start the cycle again, but you're weaker than you were before because you've already failed one time. You think, well, I'm going to fail again. And before you know it, you're in this downward cycle that ultimately leads to death. Romans says in Christ, you can break that cycle. It can be a cycle that goes up, not down. It can be a cycle that says, okay, here's what's going on. Holy Spirit, I need you to give me both the desire and the ability to resist this temptation. I I need you to give me the body of Christ to rally around me and hold me accountable so that I can break free from this temptation. And then because you do get through the day, you get through that one moment, you get through that one thought, that one temptation, because you break free, you find yourself saying, well, I did it before, I can do it again. And before you know it, now you're starting to feel better about yourself. You're starting to say, man, I can handle this in Christ. In Adam, you're dependent on your own willpower and subject to the prince of the power of the air who's come to bring death, steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. In Christ, you have the power to break that cycle and get into a cycle of life and strength and power. What I'm trying to say simply is that the more and more control we give Jesus over our lives, the freer we become. That's why Paul said, I am a slave of Jesus Christ because he understood when I am mastered by the master, I become the master of my circumstances. That might bear repeating. When I'm finally mastered by the master, I become the master of my circumstances. As I give God control of my life, he sets me free from the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that have controlled my tongue, my attitudes, my choices, my beliefs, my relationships for far too long. So let me ask. I've got to move on, but let me ask quickly. Don't respond. Just sit real still. But if there was one thing you could change in your life, what would it be? Would it be the way you act, the way you react, the way you deal with people, the way you think of yourself, the way you respond to authority figures? And what would it be? Fact is, most of us can think of an area immediately that we'd like to change, but quite often we feel hopeless to do anything about it. And I came here to tell you, In Christ, you can change that cycle. Will it be instantaneous? No, probably not. It's probably going to be a process, but it can be a cycle that leads to life and freedom as you submit to being in Christ. I have hope for the future because his pardon erases my guilt and because his power frees me from those bad habits that have been killing me day by day, week by week, month by month. The third reason we can have hope is because God's provision supplies my needs. Because God's provision supplies my needs. The truth is God's promised to meet every need for those who are in Christ. Remember we read a few moments ago that that those promises are only for those who are 
in Christ? Well, he's promised to meet every one of our needs. We talked about this last week. Whether it's a relational need or a spiritual need or a financial need or, or an emotional need, whatever it is, he's promised to meet them if we would just come to him and put him at the center of our lives. One of the reasons I know this is, again, Romans chapter 8. Verse 32, since God did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he also surely give us everything else? Pastor Jim, paraphrase, if God's willing to die for us, then what isn't he willing to do for us? It's kind of like, I liken it to an insurance policy. Once you know what's covered, you relax. Is that right? Yeah, most of you know, if you've been here very long, you know that we've been slogging through the process of building a house for a long, long time, and we're almost finished. And, uh, and it occurred to me this past week that I called the, uh, the insurance agent that I've been with since we moved back to Wayne County, <coughs> and because uh, I had gone to see them a month ago to set up homeowner's insurance on the new house because we don't have a mortgage. There's nobody doing that. It's up to us to do it. So I went to see this guy and said, you know, I'm about to finish my house, and and I need some homeowner's insurance and took all the information down. And then a month went by, and I never heard from him. And it just kind of occurred to me this week, you know what? If, uh, uh, I, I would have gotten a bill by now, <laughs> you know, or a policy or something in the mail. So I called the agent. I got one of the other agents in the office and told him what was going on. He said, well, let me check. And uh, he said, let me call you right back. And he called me back in 10 minutes and said, Mr. Wall, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but, yeah, there's, there's a record of the conversation, but there's no record of an action having been uh, taken, and I had this kind of uh, uh, panic bile well up in my throat <laughs> to think about over the last month or so when I thought I was covered. If there had been a fire, I would have lost everything we put into this thing. And I said, well, uh, well how long is it going to take to get this thing in force? And he said, oh, we'll do it right now. I said, we'll do it right now. He said, well, let me figure out what your policy is. You, you hit the yes button, and then we'll figure out what the premiums are. Okay, just let's, let's get me covered. And once we're covered, I relaxed. Now I'm looking for another insurance agency, but, you know, that's a separate issue and a whole other story. But you get, you get my drift. It's not that, I, you know, I don't care if my house burns down. I just know that that investment is now covered by somebody that if that happens, I'm going to get enough money to go start over again. Are you kidding me? Well, at least I got the money to do it, right? So the question becomes, what are you, what's covered under God's insurance policy? Psalm 84.11, I like the way that King James puts it, for the Lord will give grace and glory, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. That's kind of the Old Testament way of saying for those who are in Christ. So what's he going to withhold from you if you're in Christ? Nothing. No good thing will he withhold. It really comes down to trust. We're talking about homeowner's insurance. Do I believe that the company that I'm with has adequate resources, that if there is a fire that fits within the clause, they're going to write me a check? Do I really trust that? Well, they burned a little trust when they didn't follow through on that first phone call. With God, you don't have to worry about burning trust. You don't have to worry about it. Because trust is something that, that, uh, that he has earned because of what he did for us at Calvary so long ago. That's why I said to you last week that offering fit for a king is not, it's not a fundraising thing. Oh, we're going to raise some money, and yeah, we're going to bless 
uh, people, both here and missionaries abroad and, and families in the locale. We won't bless a lot of people with the money that you give, but at the end of the day, it's not, it's not about fundraising. It's about faith raising. It's about hope raising. It's about a chance to ask ourselves the question, do I really trust that if I will entrust these resources to God, that he, in fact, has the resources to cover me should I find myself in a situation. And believe me, I know it can be scary when he starts speaking that into your life, but I have this hope in Christ based in who he is and based in his track record, and that's why I can't wait to see what he's going to do. I can't wait. I mean, stories are already coming in of things that God is doing because you've made the commitment and you haven't brought the offering in. That's what's going to happen. You know, whether you're giving a dollar or $100,000, which one of them am I more excited about? Both of them. Because it's not about the amount. It's about the trust. It's about the faith. It's about the, you know, I'm going to put my faith in God, not in the credit union paying me interest. It comes down to do I really believe what the Bible says or not. God says, put me first and I will supply all of your needs. People who are in Christ have hope because God's pardon erases their guilt. His power frees them from their bad habits. His provision supplies their needs. And ultimately, God's promise secures my future. God's promise secures my future. Go back to Romans 8 again. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is what? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That tells me that when you are in Christ, There's nothing that can ever happen to you that would cause God to stop loving you. It tells me that my hope is in him that no matter what circumstance I face, did did I mention that sometimes life can be hard? Did we agree up front that life can be hard sometimes? That no matter what circumstances I face on this terrestrial ball, this earth, this place, I have a hope that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's why we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know what's available to us in Christ Jesus forever, Colossians 1.27. This is the secret. Christ in your hearts is your only hope of glory. That being our eternal life together. So when you're in Christ, you have hope no matter what gets thrown at you in life. Some of you uh, knew my Uncle Jim forehand, Kim's uncle, my uncle by marriage. Uh, Uncle Jim was a wonderfully loved pastor in this region, Lenore County, Wayne County, uh, for many, many years. He passed away just a few weeks ago at 85, preached the last Sunday before he died on Tuesday morning. I mean, just faithful man of God and, and deeply, deeply loved by, by thousands of people across this region and beyond. Uncle Jim told us a story not too long ago that he was actually 
uh, in the pulpit one Sunday, and he, he passed out. And uh, uh, when he came to, there was a group of people, obviously, from the church that had gathered around him and said, are you okay, Pastor? Are you okay? Pastor, are you, are you okay? And he said, when I came to, I, uh, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't in pain, but I was a little confused. It was like, what, what just happened? And then he began to realize that you know, I know these people. I know who these people are. And, and he said to them, what, what happened? And they said, well, you, you fainted. You, you passed out. Are you okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I'm fine. Later in the day, he's thinking about that, and he's praying about that. And, and in the course of his thought and his prayer, he said, Lord, is, is that what dying is like for a f- believer, for a person who, are, who is in Christ and he said the Lord spoke to me in this quiet still way and said that's exactly what it's like you're going to wake up and you won't be afraid and you won't be in pain and you'll wonder what happened and then you'll begin to see some familiar faces and then you'll see me and you'll know where you are. Guys, when that gets settled in your heart, ain't nothing can throw you from that point on because you got hope in Christ. Can we give him praise for that this morning? I'm going to go old school on you for a minute, but there's an old hymn that I always think about when I get on this topic that some of you would be familiar with, perhaps not all of you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So what it comes down to is are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Let's pray. Father, you see us, you know us. And you want us in Christ so desperately that you sent your own son to bridge the gap between our sinfulness and your holiness. Thank you for that amazing privilege. Thank you, Lord, that we can have hope because your pardon erases our guilt. Your power frees us from the junk that holds us back from being everything you made us to be. Your provision supplies our needs when we demonstrate our trust in you. 
your resources and your promises secure our eternity, our future, so we don't live or grieve as those who have no hope. We know what forever looks like in Christ. But in the quiet of this moment, Lord, I've got to ask you sincerely to speak into every one of our hearts and give us a glimpse into what you see when you see us. Whether you see us more influenced by the first Adam or the last Adam. Whether our lives are more influenced by the one who brought death or the one who brought life. Would you give us a glimpse right now of what you see in our hearts? And for anyone that might be hearing those words right now, whether in this room or across the world via the Internet, Lord, would you give us the courage to acknowledge where we are? And if we're not in Christ, say, I need hope. And I know it's in him. Thank you, Lord, for not rejecting us or pushing us away. You're ready to receive us. All we have to do is come to you. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but um, I can't leave this moment without asking you. Nobody's looking around. Please respect everybody's privacy for just a minute. Nobody move. Nobody look. You're not absolutely sure that you're in Christ. But you want me to pray that you can have that confidence. Would you lift up your hand long enough for me to see it? Start over on the left side of the auditorium, my right, your left. Just slip up a hand. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Moving across the room, just slip up your hand just quickly. Not absolutely sure, all the way across the room. Father, you know, give us the assurance of our hope in Christ. We're going to thank you for the way you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars will be open in just a few minutes. If you want to pray with somebody before you leave here, please take advantage of that opportunity. Our prayer team will be here. They'd like nothing better than to pray with you. Before we go, would you stand with me? Music team's back. We're going to sing together one last song. And while we do, we're going to take that step of faith. We're going to bring our offering fit for a king. The scriptures tell us how we're supposed to do it. First Chronicles 29 gives us the pattern. When they were building the temple of God, King David gave the instructions. And even though he didn't have the privilege of, uh, of actually building the temple, Solomon did. David's the one who was given the plan and was given charge to raise the funds that were necessary, and he said, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So he brought his offering first. Then he got all the leaders of the house to be the next ones to step out and bring their offering fit for the king. And then the people followed and brought their offering, and the result was that they built the temple of God, and it became a lighthouse to the world and a launching pad for ministry across the world. So as Chris leads us 
in this song, I'm going to ask you simply to step out. I'll go first. Leaders, staff, board, elders, if you'll slip out, just come, drop your offering in any one of these receptacles and then make your way back to your chair. Then if everyone else would follow, just bring your offering. Drop it in the basket. Nobody's going to embarrass you or anything like that. We just want you to make this demonstration of faith as you step out. Go back to your seats. We'll continue to sing until everyone's done. Then we'll close our service together. Father, receive this offering as an act of faith and dependence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in Christ. All that it means to our lives, but so much more than what it means to our lives that we can be agents of hope in a world desperate for hope. We can be agents of Christ in a world desperate for Jesus. And I pray simply that you would take the bridge, all of the families that make up our church family, your ministry here, would you take us to a whole new level of releasing hope in this world? Would you bring us to a whole new level of bringing praise to you and thanks to you for all that you do to us? Would you bring a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through this house? Draw us into your presence like never before and then send us into the world like never before. We're going to thank you for the hope that rises up inside of us and our families and our communities and our neighborhoods and the workplace. We're going to thank you for the hope that comes to our nation and to our world for the privilege to be ambassadors of that hope. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Can we raise one more hand clap of praise to our God this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Next Sunday is a really big day here at the, at the bridge. We're going to be starting a whole new series called Difficult People. We're going to learn how to deal with some of the people who don't have hope that are in our lives. I hope you plan to be here. We're going to water baptize some folks next Sunday morning. You don't want to miss that. I'll see you next Sunday morning. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week.